guys. Welcome to Bringing Reading Back, a virtual book club podcast where we hope to rediscover our love of reading. Now you're listening to a pre-pod episode. This means that tomorrow we'll be releasing our more in-depth discussion of this book. However, if you can't be bothered to read it before then, we're going to tell you the summary now. So stick around and BRB for now. I'm bringing reading back. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. All the book clubs don't know how to act. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. And scene. All right. Um, welcome to bringing reading back. I am Tori and I am joined with my co-hosts. Hey, I'm Danielle. And Jade. Welcome to uh, the pre-pod for episode two, Number the Stars. Why don't we get started into a little bit of a summary so you can hurry up and watch this or listen to this uh, before we post our full-blown podcast episode. Anybody want to start us out? Okay, so Number the Stars was written by Lois Lowry. And it is set in uh, 1940s, World War II era Denmark. So to go ahead and get things started, we are in Denmark um, for the opening of this book, Copenhagen Neighborhood. And there is a little girl, a 10-year-old named Anne-Marie Johansson. And her sister, or her friend Ellen Rosen, uh, they're walking home from school. And their little, her little sister Christy is behind them. But... Anne-Marie is all into races. She loves foot races. She's done really well at these foot races at school. And so on their way home, she's like, she's trying to encourage her friend to say, to um, run with her and race with her. But she keeps saying, let's race. Let's practice. I really want to be uh, the Nazis of occupied Copenhagen as they have with the rest of Denmark. And as the girls are running around the corner, they run into uh, two Nazis who are patrolling the corner. And so the Nazis stop them and start to, like, ask them questions about, you know, are you a good student? Are you, you know, why are you running? What's so, you look like hoodlums. What are you doing? And finally, Kirsty, um, Anne-Marie's little sister, catches up to them. And the soldier, like, reaches over and touches her hair and tells her she's pretty. And she's just like, don't touch me. Which I just like to say is an amazing woman, or moment for women everywhere. Where she's just like, get your hands off me. She does that. They get back home, and you find out that they're using limited electricity. Uh, they've got dark curtains. There's not supposed to be any light in the city after their curfew. So, yeah, I'll pass the torch on if somebody else wants to keep talking. So after they run into the soldiers, um, you know, Kirsty backtalks and just really lightens up the moment um, because the soldier thinks it's funny. And, you know, that's kind of left to the reader's imagination. You know, maybe they're thinking, like, why is this little girl backtalking me? Or maybe they're like, I see my daughter in her attitude, because she just has no awareness of anything. Um, and so they get back to the house, and Anne-Marie has decided, like, we're not going to tell our parents. It'll just freak them out. So they end up finding out, because Kirsty uh, is a little girl who has a big mouth, and she just wants to tell her mom. So it kind of starts a worrisome trend. Um, you know, so... 
it kind of, it makes them nervous. It makes both parents nervous. So the Johansons and the Rosens, um, the two families with the, with the children. So after that. Okay. So the backstory of the Nazis in Copenhagen. Um, so they had been there for, I believe, three years, three or five years, um, somewhere in that time frame, whenever our story takes place. And they've completely occupied all of Denmark. Um, so they're rationing things. They're, there's no pink frosting um, or cupcakes, which Christy or Kirsty makes a point of saying that she wants uh, cupcakes with pink frosting. Um, there hasn't been any sugar around for years. Um, one of the key points is whenever Mrs. Johansson and Mrs. Rosen are sitting at the table drinking coffee, but it's not actually coffee. Um, they just get some herbs and soak them in water, and they call it having coffee. Um, there are no cigarettes in the area, which is something that will come into play later. Um, there's a theme of people having cigarettes and rolling their own um, and creating their own. So pretty early on, uh, we realized that this is not the people of this apartment complex are not in a wealthy situation. Um, but they're also not suffering per se. Um, things are tight, but they're doing okay. Um, and so a little bit of that backstory. So King Christian X, I believe, uh, is the king of Denmark at this time. And so he lives, um, he lives in Copenhagen, lives in a castle there, and he rides his horse every day out amongst the people. Um, he goes out without a guard of any kind, and the Nazis are just floored by this. How can a leader a leader come out and be amongst his people without any sort of protection. So there's a line really early on where um, a Nazi asks a young man, who is, who's the man who's writing? Um, they say, he's the king. And he goes, well, well, why doesn't he have any bodyguard? And the boy says, all of Denmark is his bodyguard, which is really, really cool. Um, and this is actually to jump back to a little bit of the real history behind it. This is actually something that was recorded uh, that an actual Denmark citizen said to a Nazi soldier when they saw the king riding on his horse. Um, but another really cool thing about King Christian, right? He's a super cool dude. Um, I love to research him more. But whenever he found out that the Nazis were coming to occupy, he didn't try to fight back because the Denmark army or the army of Denmark is really, really small. So if he tried to fight against the Nazi army, things wouldn't go so well for his people. So he made the choice to just allow them to come in. It's still not a great situation, but it's better than it would have been if there was fighting. Um, there was no death involved in that because he said, yeah, you can go ahead and occupy our country. We're not going to fight you. But as the Nazi army moved towards the harbor to steal the ships the Danes had there, King Christian made the choice to blow up the entire naval fleet. He just set it on fire. Um, and basically said it was better to watch his own fleet burn than it was to have them being occupied by Nazis, which is so huge and so powerful. Um, and just part of the reason why this book is really fascinating. So on to the next topic line. We are in the eyes of the middle daughter, Anne-Marie, um, and her best friend, Ellen Rosen, who is Jewish, has to come over and spend the night. Um, that that day or that night is actually the Jewish New Year. 
and the Nazis expect there to be celebrations going on, but that has been canceled, and um, all of the names of the Jewish uh, participants have been given over to the Nazis. So Ellen has to come over and stay the night to, of course they don't understand this at the time, but basically to allow her parents to flee or to hide while um, Ellen hides at the Johansons. And then, of course, they the parents tell them to act just as normal as possible, go into your room, giggle, have fun. So they go in, and unfortunately, in the middle of the night, they are awoken by Nazi sh- soldiers who are looking for the Rosens. Um, the parents... Her parents just expect them to do a once-over, and they plead for them not to wake up the daughters that are sleeping, but ultimately they do, and uh, right before they come into the room, Anne-Marie pleads with Ellen to take off her necklace, which is the Jewish Star of David, and she hides it for her. Then, of course, they're questioned by Nazis, um... Anne-Marie's father is basically able to pass off Ellen as his eldest daughter, Lise, who, who had passed away um, a few years before, a year or so before. And so they get through that initial hurdle. But the next day, they keep the girls home from school, I, I think. It's actually a school day, but they keep them home and decide to go on a train ride to Anne-Marie's mom's brother Henrik they they're traveling traveling to uncle Henrik's for the day so they take a train ride and on that train ride they are asked by a Nazi soldier what are they doing traveling well of course everyone is so scared that Kirsty is going to blurt out um oh we're we're going to my uncle Henrik's but uh it's my friend Ellen's New Year. But of course, they get past um, the Nazi soldier. Ellen just comments on her new shoes, and they ultimately make it to Uncle Henrik's house unscathed, and they spend the night with him. Um, And the next day, something very important is planned. So I don't know if anybody wants to take it from here to kind of finish this story up. So they get to Henrik's, and they, um, Anne Marie and Ellen, you know, they go visit the ocean, and they can see Sweden from there, and they're, you know, having a pretty good day, and then Anne-Marie's mother calls them in. Shortly thereafter, they have a, quote, funeral. So, they've brought in, someone has brought in a casket, and it's sitting in the living room, and then a ton of people come to visit, and at part of those people are the Rosen's parents. So... They're having this funeral, um, and more soldiers come to their door, and they're, you know, questioning why is this such a big gathering? An abnormal amount of people have come to this gathering. And, you know, they say, oh, my aunt, her mother says, my aunt died, um, and lists an aunt's name that Anne-Marie has never heard. And so she's confused, but she doesn't let on at that moment. And then... Later, you find out that the casket has clothes in it. Um, so all the people who have shown up to the funeral are in, are Jewish. And we don't know exactly maybe what's going on yet, but there's clothes for them, and wherever they're going is going to be cold. And 
Then, the next day, we find out that Henrik and Anne-Marie's mom are going to lead them to her Uncle Henrik's boat. They're going to hide them on the boat, and then they're going to smuggle them across the ocean to Sweden. So, they're actually helping Jews escape from the now, the Germans who now are trying to get them out of Denmark. So with that... To wrap it up, um, for this plotline, all these people who are Jewish have gathered for this funeral, this ragtag group of people. Um, one of them has a baby with them. You see a character who I don't think we've talked about before, but I'm going to mention him now. His name is Peter. Peter Nilsson is his name. And he is actually, he was going to be Anne-Marie's brother-in-law. He was engaged to her sister, Lise, um, but then about a week before their wedding, Lise was killed in a car accident. He's still kind of been part of the family. He's still shown up a little bit, but he's always bringing things that they aren't supposed to have access to. So he brings bottles of beer and he brings um, the secret newspaper. And whenever he shows up at their house, he shows up on the night that um, Ellen is brought over to the apartment. And then he shows up at Uncle Henrik's house. And so Anne-Marie is like, this is really weird. I, I don't know why he's here um, because she never gets to see Peter this often. This is twice in two days. So... Peter brings along, um, he's the one who helps bring in the clothing that's in the casket for Great Aunt Bertie, uh, who doesn't exist. And he also brings in some medication that he gives to the baby, um, just a few drops to help it sleep. Um, and he just says, we don't want to take any chances. We want the baby to be sleeping. And Anne-Marie's like, what is going on? Um, and he also brings a packet. And he gives it to Ellen's father. And he says, whenever you get to Hendrick's boat, give this to him. This is incredibly important. So there's this packet that he's given him. Mr. Rosen puts it in his pocket and then they lead them out in two separate groups. So in the middle of the night, um, they leave with these separate groups of people and sneak them out into town. Anne-Marie is sitting there. She's waiting for her mother to get home. She's all by herself now. Um, the casket is, clo is closed again. All the people who are there are gone. Finally, she falls asleep and she wakes up and she realizes that her mother should have been back an hour before. And so she starts to look outside and she sees this hump that, or this clump that's just collapsed um, into a heap. And she realizes that it's her mother. Her mom actually fell on her way back, uh, tripped over a root and has broken her ankle. So Anne-Marie gets her back to the step and she sits her down on the step. And while they're talking, her mother is kind of explaining that the Rosens and the other people are on Henrik's boat and they're being hidden and he's going to take them across the ocean to Sweden. And while they're sitting there talking, Anne-Marie looks down and realizes that the packet that Peter had given to Mr. Rosen has fallen out of his pocket, sitting under the step. Her mother freaks out because this is something that's hugely important and tells Anne-Marie to go get a basket, to go get some bread and cheese and an apple and to pack up a lunch, hide this thing at the bottom and take it to her uncle as fast as she can. So it's about a 30-minute walk, and she says, you know, I need you to run. I need you to run as fast as you can. And so Anne-Marie takes off, and she's telling herself the story of the Big Bad Wolf, uh, Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, and she's telling it to herself like she'd be telling it to her sister, Kirsty. She's talking about, oh, I, and she heard something in the bushes, and, and little Red Riding Hood was so scared, and she didn't know what it was. And she realizes that she's running, she does hear a growl. And she comes around the corner, and there are two Nazi soldiers standing there with dogs. Very large dogs. We can assume they were probably German shepherds or something of that kind. 
dogs that are very fierce and growling at her and they ask her why she's running and she just basically pretends to be a silly girl um like her sister well i'm running to to get to my uncle henrik and i'm taking him his lunch because he forgot it he's a fisherman and um the soldiers are like well why doesn't he just eat fish and she makes the joke about you know he's around it all day it smells really bad he doesn't even like it so then the soldiers start to go through the basket they're getting suspicious about what's in the basket he takes the bread and he breaks it and he feeds it to the dogs and he's going through everything. He looks at the cheese. He looks at the napkin that's in there. And then he moves everything around and he sees the packet at the bottom of the basket. And Anne-Marie is mentally just freaking out at this point. And she actually starts crying whenever he asks her what it is. And she says, I don't know, which is true. She doesn't know. Um, and he opens it up and it's just a handkerchief. Just a nice little handkerchief um, that's in this packet, and his dogs sniff it, and they act uninterested, and the soldiers just decide to walk away. So she takes everything back, she keeps running, she gets to Uncle Henrik in time, um, and she notices that the Rosens are nowhere to be found. But she gives it to him, she tries to explain what happened, and he's just like, oh, I'm so glad you're here, I'm so grateful that you were able to make it, um, and then sends her on home. And so once he gets home that evening, he kind of explains what happened. Um, he tells her that the Rosens are safe in Sweden. He took them across in a boat, but that the handkerchief that she had given him was actually, um, it was rabbit's blood mixed with cocaine, and it was built to destroy the noses of the dogs and help protect the Rosens. So really, he tells her, you know, you, you were afraid and you did this thing, and you saved the life of your best friend and her family and these people that you didn't know, and you did this really brave thing. And she kind of has this moment where she she realizes what's happening and what's going on in her world. And we flash forward to two years later, whenever the Nazi occupation of Denmark is over and the Jews are returning home. So you don't actually get to see her, her being reunited with Ellen, but you do hear talks about them airing out the Rosen's apartment and getting things ready for her return and how she pulls her necklace out from where it had been hidden so that whenever her friend comes home, she can have her Star of David back. So that is Number of the Stars. It's a very short book. I think it's about 135 pages, give or take. Um, it is a very short book, but it is a very, a very poignant story. So that's the summary. Okay, we hope to see you back here uh, tomorrow for a riveting discussion of the details of Number of the Stars. So we will sign off for now, and we will catch you in the podcast episode. BRB for now. BRB. BRB. Hey.